Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. Today we will be talking about how you pay for COVID-19. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind you to review and subscribe. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. My name is Alex Fernandez. On the other line is Dr. Craig Stern. And um, our topic for today is about how do people pay for treatment when it comes to COVID-19? Um, we, we felt it was a good topic. Emmett brought it up. Uh, we do have a particular client base that, that uh, covers, um, that are insurers and they covered insured and non-insured clients alike. So we felt it was a good uh, topic to talk about because people are wondering when it comes to treatment for COVID-19, how is it getting paid for, right, Dr. Stone? Yes, um, and let me add to what Alex is saying because it's an important one. Um, we do not uh, do payment mechanisms. We certainly are heavily involved in benefit design and, and issues with regard to approvals, disapprovals, et cetera. Uh, but M brought up this issue, and while I was a little bit concerned about it at the beginning, we do have a part of our client base that deals with both public and private insurance. So we thought it important, and we have received questions. How are people going to afford um, uh, the insurance, or if they're uninsured, how do they deal with it? So we're going to address this, but I want to make one point clear, and that is this is a moving topic. A lot of the things that we could say today uh, will not be true tomorrow, um, and it has a good deal to do with politics. It has to deal with how uh, these programs are, um, are uh, uh, you know, evolving. So I think it's important that we address it. A good deal of it will be true today and it'll be true tomorrow, but there are some differences and we'll have to address that. Yeah, so why don't we start? We, we can start by saying, what do you do if you are insured? Yeah. So you've got, you got COVID-19. What do you do if you're insured? Well, a bottom line in this regard is if you're insured, then you can expect that the insurance company is going to cover your COVID-19 um, uh, uh, care the same way that they would deal with your care if you had um, the flu each year and, and things like that. So you would be covered. It's also mm -hmm. true that there has been a new act. It's called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act which effectively covers testing. So even though testing has been a disaster in the United States with regard to rapid testing of a lot of the population, um, that is, uh, is now presumably covered and people will not be uh, dealing with the overall cost of testing of care. But the big deal for everybody is if you have insurance, you'll be covered. What is a big deal is that if you have a copay or you have a deductible, then that money is out of pocket to you and you're going to have to address that. That can be a significant amount of money or it can be uh, a smaller amount of money. It depends on uh, what your level is, but you can be looking at something that's about $1,000. You can be looking at something that's $10,000 or even up to $20,000, depending on what your policy uh, looks like. People have argued that the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, uh, would effectively cover them. Others have dealt with it uh, where they're 
not in favor of Obamacare until they've dealt with it a different way. Either way, putting politics out of it, the bottom line is, is that in all insurance, there is going to be some issue about copays and deductibles, and, and that then becomes the major emphasis on an insured person and how they're going to address that cost. Yeah, so well, when you mention copays and deductibles, it, it all comes from how they're being priced to begin with, right? When you're yeah. talking about um, hospitals um, charging insurance for, say, the bed that the, the patient is in or the room that the patient is in, and not all hospitals treat it the same way. They don't, they don't um, I'm, I'm saying that wrong because they probably treat the, the, the illness the same way. But what I'm talking about as far as pricing, they're not all priced the same way. No, and, and Alex, you're bringing up an important point. From a clinical standpoint, you're gonna treat everybody the same. You're going to deal with them and try and ensure the fact that they move from a sick phase to a well phase. And so right. you're, you're definitely not going to, to um, do that. Now there are arguments, and I'm not, um, I'm not demeaning them in any way, where people are arguing that some people have been treated better than others. We can't get into that. That is on a per facility, per basis. Um, there certainly has been issues with regard to uh, whether blacks are being treated differently than whites and all of that. And from a medical oh, standpoint, that's horrific. It's totally horrific. But let me back up for a minute. Um, the hospitals have been promised by the White House that they will be paid for the treatment of these COVID-19 patients. However, there's no plan. And there hasn't been any uh, a time frame that's been addressed for how they're going to be paid. So while it's true that they've been promised, the lack of a plan puts these hospitals into a significant burden. Clearly, some of the new um, acts that are coming out of Congress will help to pay for them, but the overall revenue for a hospital has been on elective surgeries, elective kind of, of uh, issues, and that, mm -hmm. that revenue has dried up. There isn't any. And so it's important for those hospitals to be able to have something to cover what they would have considered bad debt in the in the past dealing with these and who's going to cover them for that that's issue one yeah. issue two is that um depending on on what goes on on your copay and co uh, and, and deductible a a uh, coinsurance in the medical benefit means approximately that you pay 20 percent of the total cost of whatever the care is so if the cost just for argument's sake was $10,000, your responsibility there would be $2,000. And clearly right. it, it, um, it uh, scales as the cost becomes more expensive. That is uh, something that you have to address and how it's going to be addressed uh, for what goes on. And that then uh, becomes a problem as to where you're going to get the money for it, how you're going to do it. Um, the Kaiser Family Foundation did a study based on information for people with pneumonia in the past, not now, but in the past, in order to try and make estimates. And their estimate was that the average cost of treating a, um, uh, someone with a employee insurance who didn't have complications 
was going to cost about $10,000. And with somebody that was more severe and had complications, it was going to be about double that. It was going to cost about $20,000. So it gives you an idea that if you have some sort of uh, coinsurance or otherwise, it's going to cost out of pocket something in the range of $1,000 to $2,000. And it could be a good deal more, depending on whether you end up in an ICU or in, on a respirator and things like that. Wow, and <laughs> that's a that's a lot to um, try to catch up on. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah. but um, if we want to move out, um, what you mentioned the ones that are insured. You mentioned copays and deductibles, but how do those that are uninsured handle it? Well, that's the that's the serious problem. <laughs> yeah, um, because people who are uninsured, it's not quite clear what is going to happen. It's not quite clear whether. Uh, some of that money or the cost of it is going to be uh, taken care of, whether it's by a federal or state benefit or otherwise. That's one of the unknowns here. And that unknown, um, you know, relies on one, who's going to do it. Two, yeah. even if they do, will you still be responsible for a copay or a deductible? And the general evidence is based on what's happened in the past with pneumonia and the flu, is that yes, you'll still have to deal with it, given the fact that uh, someone is gonna pay for the overall general cost of what goes on. Um, and uh, the, the issue for people that are uninsured begins to define how are you uninsured? Meaning, are you uninsured because you don't have money? Are you uninsured because you haven't bought insurance? Are you uninsured because uh, there is no insurance that meets your particular category? That's part of the unknown. And that, in general, doesn't allow us to even make a general statement for people about what goes on. It deals with what you're going to you know, have to cover. Now, you may, especially because of the current economic environment, that may make you eligible for Medicaid in a given state. Uh, and depending on your age, you may be eligible for Medicare. And there is now uh, some evidence in Congress where they're talking about extending the eligibility range for the Affordable Care Act, where people who had elected not to buy it could buy it in time. But that is very much of an unknown. And no one knows for sure what the answer to that question is. <laughs> so there, there's been no discussion about it? There has been discussion. Uh, the problem is, is that there's no plan. Um, hmm. uh, and so um, if I'm uninsured, and I'll just take a couple of examples to give you an idea. If I'm uninsured because I chose not to buy insurance, now I'm trying to see whether I'm eligible for any other insurance, whether I can buy it, uh, or whether uh, they're gonna extend the time frame where I could be eligible and I could buy into the Affordable Care Act or the state exchange or the federal exchange about what goes on. That's one option. A second option is that if I'm um, in a position where the um, a Medicare or Medicaid would pay, then certainly I'd be applying uh, to get into the Medicaid program because uh, income has fallen uh, and, and effectively I become uh, available and it's important by the way they do a asset test but they don't include the cost of a home and they don't include the cost of a car 
So even mm. though you may own a home, you may own a car, you may still be eligible for a Medicaid program in any given state. Now, clearly, state is that to cover emergencies like a lot of people losing their job at one time? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. and, and uh, even at the time uh, in 2008, where there was the um, big recession, the uh, role of people that were eligible for Medicaid grew because people didn't have any income, and so they were uh, eligible to apply to get into a Medicaid program and therefore they would have um, part of their care, all of their care taken care of under a Medicaid program. That's a pretty, uh, it's gotta be a pretty uh, good safety net to fall back on and hopefully it's heavy enough to, ha to handle all well, this uh, major. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could hope. Now there's no guarantees here. And there's right. no guarantees that you would be uh, able to buy in, but it is a possibility. Mm -hmm. And as I said from the beginning, what we're about to say could have a lot of ifs involved. That is one of them. Okay. Um, and, and then clearly, you know, on your age, whether you were available, you were uh, eligible for Medicare and you, uh, you applied or you were late in applying or otherwise where you may have some capability. We're running into a, a huge amount of unknown territory where people have a need. There's no question about it. Um, right. There are no plans for how to handle it. That becomes an issue. And then even if there is a plan, is there a plan that in fact is going to have enough money, is going to have enough eligibility so that you can ride through that plan alongside the fact you're still going to have to pay uh, presumably for certain copays uh, and certain deductibles. But having said that, um, we don't know because there are not enough there's not enough plans, there's not enough information, there's not even enough to know whether uh, the government is going to have enough money to, to pay for it. So that, that is a huge unknown. People really don't know what's, what, what to expect from that. Well, the government just prints money anyways, right? So we can just, well, I'm sure we'll be all right. <laughs> um, maybe, but I'm in that position, which we're not, um, but if you're in that position, and we certainly have had a lot of patients um, and in groups where we've um, been consulting to that group or dealing with the analytics for the group, it becomes a real problem because you don't know whether other people are going to be able to um, be eligible, whether they're going to get benefits, what benefits will they get, etc. It is a huge unknown and it is unfair, um, mm -hmm. but it is reality and, and people need to know that. So you mentioned Medicaid, how about Medicare? What does Medicare fall in? Yeah, Medicare clearly uh, falls into, you know, if you're over 65, um, right. if you're healthy, or even if you have a lot of, of uh, chronic or comorbid conditions, um, today they're called pre-existing conditions, but in medicine they've always been comorbid or, or, or uh, 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 conditions that people have, uh, right. then Medicare is going to pay for it. Now, Medicare does have copays and deductibles, so there may still be that in people's cell insurance that kind of covers the gap between what is being covered and what, uh, what additional money that you need for that. So people have sold gap insurance to try and cover that, that uh, difference because you're dealing with people that frequently are in fixed incomes, 
they're retired, they're not getting a lot more money and they need something in order to cover some of these uh, extended fees. And that becomes an issue um, uh, as to what goes on. But effectively, uh, Medicare deals with it um, and, and um, uh, it is an area where Medicare has a pretty broad coverage, Medicare Part A for hospital, Medicare Part B for doctor, Medicare Part C for drugs. Um, right. And so we're, we're dealing with, um, I'm sorry, Medicare Part C for, um, for Medicare Advantage or managed care over that cost and Medicare Part D uh, for drugs. So there is a broad coverage in general, um, uh, but clearly there's going to be issues about how they're gonna be reimbursed, how they're gonna pay for it. And there's issues today about whether there will be enough money, whether it's in social security or whether it's in Medicare as to how it's gonna be paid. One thing that's right. always been true about medicine, it's always true and it has nothing to do with politics or otherwise, other than if you give someone in healthcare, you don't take it away. That becomes a huge, huge problem that no one can solve because you've offered them something, you've given them something, and then if you step in to take it away, you're dealing with an enormous uh, problem that um, effectively has no solution. Yeah, and then and what people are thinking these days is more financially, just morally taking that away is, is terrible. And you, there's no way in a lot of these are elected politicians that are looking for your vote, that can't look good for them either. <laughs> no, but realize that, you know, several states, and there's 50 states and then territories, so obviously there could be 50 different solutions and also different uh, territory issues. Some of the states have moved up and have said, well, okay, you may not be quite eligible for Medicare, you may not be quite eligible for Medicaid, what are you going to do about it? So the states have moved in and have said, you know, that there are testing issues and issues where they're creating, you know, special enrollment periods in order to try and cover you because you don't quite make, you don't quite meet all of the of the uh, financial and asset tests for Medicaid. And so as a result of that, they've done it. And I think right now, so far, Maryland, Massachusetts, Nevada, New York, Rhode Island, and Washington have started this, um, I'm sure that the number or whatever changes on a daily basis, uh, but we're in a very, I mean, the flux in this whole or in this whole issue is based on a lot of different factors. And clearly um, where the federal government was not able to step up or did not step up, um, in this case, the, the states have stepped up, it's within their, their purview. And as a result of that, governors of the states and, and um, assemblies, et cetera, in those states have stepped up to deal with it. And they may have totally different answers than the state even next door to them as to what they're doing. Yeah, so, but Medicare, Medicare has been around for a long time. Yeah. And um, the these gaps in insurance, and I'm sure they've caused a lot of people some hardships. Um, has there been any thought into revisiting the, these types of coverages? Well, um, on a regular basis, uh, Medicare is discussed. In a general respect, no one is discussing removing Medicare. I mean, while there's been kind of a history and we've talked about the fact that all of these to some degree are experiments where you start Medicare 
uh, in the 60s, and then you see it changed. Medicare has changed at least 11 times. Uh, mm -hmm. Medicare Part D for drugs has changed probably seven times at least. Um, and we, we talked about this back when we discussed the Affordable Care Act. We did. Yeah. And, and, and now we're in a position where people are not changing. They're trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act and things like that. But we do have the situation where people are talking about, you know, what's covered. Fundamentally, the immediate problem is who's going to cover the COVID-19. And right. in a general way, people are trying to get it where, uh, in effect, the government will pay for that care minus what goes on with co-pays and deductibles. Um, but and, and that is the discussion. The problem is, what is the plan? How is it going to be done? And there are messages that come out of the White House. There's messages that come out of Congress. None of them are distinctly the same. So as a result of that, we're not quite sure who is, in fact, eventually going to pay or not. And I think when people look back at this, they're going to wonder why there were not some specific plans, at least speaking from a medical standpoint, you look at it and say, the healthcare system is taking care of these people. Now someone has to deal with the financial issues of what goes on. And it's not just financial issues, it's um, what are you gonna do with a person? Where are they gonna stay? Where are they going to live? Who's gonna right. take care of them? Issues with regard to food, issues with regard to socialization and everything. Th th that creates an even bigger cost to this whole thing. Yeah, I can't imagine. And but another big cost to um, this whole COVID nineteen thing is when it comes to insurance is the poor population. What what happens to the indigent population? Well, the indigent population in general has been paid for by um, the particular program. Usually, uh, the county or the state or the state provides money to the county, and the county then is obligated to uh, pay. Um, so uh, in that regard, someone is paying. Now there is an argument today about whether they're um, uh, here legally, whether they're here not legally, and all of the political issues that go on. Uh, this isn't a political talk. Uh, we're not involved with that one way or the other. Medically, we're looking at it and trying to say that in a general way, if you're poor, then the cost of what you have is going to be picked up by uh, county, state, or federal, uh, depending right. on what it is. Uh, and in a general way, counties and states have the ultimate responsibility. So if you're poor in a given county uh, in, in the United States, then the county is going to pick up the amount to pay it. And frequently, they have a county hospital. Uh, they have something that someone can go to as a county facility, a county clinic, and can be taken care of. Um, the state certainly has uh, state-related issues, but they'll frequently defer to the county to deal with that. And they'll take care of the patient uh, for what goes on. It is, um, once again, a moving target. Um, right. There is a group uh, through the Commonwealth Fund that's a healthcare think tank, and they have on the internet something called the coronavirus tracker. It's trying to keep list of the moves of every state and what's going on. So if people have questions, this is a legitimate, honest uh, site, a coronavirus tracker, uh, in order to find out, you know, what is, uh, what is covered, what isn't covered, 
in your particular area what's going on in a given state and how that's to be handled. So um, that yeah. is that is a legitimate place for you to go for information as things change on a daily basis. And we'll we'll have M put that up once we once we post this and um that that link will be available for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, also, um, we we understand the indigent population, but also that does not include illegal immigrants. I mean, well, some yes, but but not all. So, well, what happens if you are illegal immigrant or undocumented, and you find out you got COVID nineteen? How does how is that being handled? Yet, um, in, a, in a general respect, obviously, the president's made pronouncements about what happens to these people. Um, mm -hmm. Each state has the responsibility to decide what they're going to do. It may conflict with the federal government. It may not. Um, uh, different states have different ways they're handling it. California, for example, where, we're at, where we reside, um, has one rate where they take care of, of uh, the people, of these immigrants, legal or otherwise. Uh, other states may mm -hmm. handle it differently. Um, that is also uh, problematic because it depends on where you where you reside, what that state's rules are, or for what goes on. And once again, go back to coronavirus tracker in order to see where and what kind of things are being covered in a given in a given state. The one thing that everybody, by the way, should look carefully at is that while um, if I'm if I'm uh, illegal, or I'm even here legally, but I'm poor, that's one thing, and I can hope that uh, the county or state will cover the cost of my care. On the other hand, if you're insured, you may think you're insured for everything, but in fact, you're not. Um, in the case of insured people, there's two general kinds of groups. There's uh, physicians and people who are treating you that are covered, within what's known as a network that has a contract with the insurer to take care of you. There's another group of people who are non-contract, they're out of network. It's important for people, even if they have insurance or otherwise, to try and go to the providers that in fact the insurance company says, and that minimizes the amount of out-of-pocket you have to pay, that's number one. Number two is there's a lot of things that are not covered. So for example, you may be treated by an in-network physician, but the laboratory tests that they send you for may not be in the network. They may be out of the network. And as a result of that, you pay more because you've got these uh, laboratory cases. And they can be expensive if there are a lot of laboratory tests uh, that are being run, and especially frequently if they're, if they're being run. That becomes an issue. And it also is an issue that um, you are dealing with people in the hospitals that are patient advocates who are trying to care for people and make sure that they're being taken care of. You should right. reach out to that. You should also reach out in your insurance company to understand what is covered and what might be covered, but it's covered under a different uh, network and therefore costs you more. So in, in a general, very general respect, you try and stay with with care that is within network, whether it's doctors or hospitals, and if they're ancillary kind of services, like lab or otherwise, to find out how are they covered and what the costs are, because you pay less money in general 
if all of the services that you get are taken care of within network. That becomes a major criteria for you. Right. Um, is there any way, I mean, this is more just a personal uh, question um, that I'm sure other people are thinking as well. When it comes to COVID-19 and it comes to the treatment of it, is there any way to put um, maybe a cap or a ceiling on the cost of, the, of its treatment as far as um, um, bed stay or um, um, fluid treatment, that kind of thing? I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are looking to stay more hydrated as they try to go through it. So is there any way to, to cap the cost of it? Well, the, 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 that also is a complicated solution. A hospital, right. for example, has the a requirement to try and treat that patient in the most ap appropriate way so that that patient gets the best care and hopefully can return and leave the hospital. Now, mm. um, there may be cases, and there are certainly cases, where uh, the person needs to be hydrated significantly. They need a lot of, um, of breathing tests. They need right. a lot of breathing treatments. They may need respirators or otherwise. And in general, those are covered under the hospital cost, minus once again, co-pays and deductibles. But um, uh, the hospitals are looking for that to be covered. So a person who was in the hospital may have a huge bill, $20,000, $40,000 for being in an intensive care unit, an ICU, may have been on a respirator, et cetera. They may get this huge bill, and now they're looking to see, well, who's going to pay for it? And that, right. the hospital is a bit of a problem because while they've been promised certain things, they don't know whether they're going to get paid or what the plan is for when they will be paid and at what yeah. rate uh, they're going to be paid in order to do that. So that is also an unknown, and someone who is looking at that yeah. can certainly ask, but they may get caught in the world where the world is saying to them, you know, um, this is all you're going to get. This is what's here. And at the mm -hmm. end of the day, you're not getting more. So, um, you know, this becomes a, a financial uh, challenge for everybody. And I wish that there was a easy answer for that. But all of the issues you're talking about, if you're in a hospital, you have a hospital bed, you have the nurse, you have food, you have the lab, you have uh, drugs, you have pharmacy, et cetera, then you see that there is a constant uh, review of what goes on, and you see that um, uh, all of that is covered under the hospital bill. Now, is it all gonna right. be covered or not? As I've said, nobody knows. Right, right. And, um, and I understand the, the background of it as far as hospitals covering their end. Um, it, it was more just a question because it helps people understand that it's not just hospitals saying this is how much we're going to charge you because we feel like it covers other costs as well. I mean, it, it's it's a tough situation for everyone involved, and it and it helps for those to understand that that these are not just bogus prices that are being thrown out there, at least for the most part. Maybe ninety five percent. Well, there is no guarantee that um, you're going to be charged one rate at one hospital and another rate at another hospital. That could easily happen. 
it could easily be where um, the um, uh, where one hospital is more expensive than another. There's yeah. no way to to address that, plan for it, or calculate it. And certainly, if you have an immediate illness, you're not asking who's going to pay for this and how is it going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. There have been some cases of people who were put on respirators who asked, "Well, who's going to pay for all of this?" Um, but it's a question that kind of hangs out there without today a real answer uh, to that question. Um, right. We can hope that the hospitals are going to be reimbursed to some degree for that, but of they'll course. be reimbursed based on the level of care, whether you're in a regular bed, whether you're in an ICU bed, whether you're on a respirator, not on a respirator, the kind of testing that went on, the kind of, um, of treatments that went on, those can all be different. And yes, there can be different costs for it, and there's no guarantees, as you talked about, is there a mm -hmm. ceiling? Whoever eventually pays for this will put some ceiling on the number, and that will be their decision. Uh, in the past, have we been involved with some of those decisions? Yes, especially on the treatment side, without question. But right. it's not, um, this isn't something where you're looking and saying, you know, um, we're effectively going to stiff these people and and give them high bills etc but that doesn't right. stop someone from getting a high bill uh from a hospital or otherwise and then trying to figure out who eventually is going to pay for all this yeah and it's with so many unknowns we're probably going to have to circle back and um and revisit this topic because there's going to be answers coming out within the next couple months because hospitals are going to want to know who's paying for it yes. um um, a lot of these patients who are getting these bills are going to have to figure out how they're going to pay for it. So there's there's so many questions that are going to be answered within the next couple of months. I'll be excited to circle back and revisit this topic. Well, um, hopefully we will have better answers so that mm -hmm. when you're asked who's paying, what are the rules, um, what can you expect, et cetera, that we'll have right. something that gives you some um, uh, appropriate answers so that you can look at it and say, okay, this is going to cost me $5,000 or this is going to cost me $10,000 or otherwise. We're not defending any of it. This is not right. about a defense or otherwise. That's not what this is about. But right now, the number of questions is very clear. If you have insurance, uh, then hopefully most of it is going to be paid for. If you have Medicare, it's going to be paid for. If you have Medicaid, it's going to be paid for. Testing clearly has been identified as something that will be paid for, but you will still have a financial responsibility and how that is going to be paid for will be on an individual basis and whether people have additional coverage or whether they don't and how they're going to find money to pay for it. This is open questions. We don't have good answers now. I truly wish we were. We can only um, uh, end this with the fact of stay well, be well, try and stay positive, but at all times, follow the rules, uh, follow the issues with regard to, um, to uh, physical distancing and uh, uh, washing your hands and things like that. And I certainly can't wait to start partying after this. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. That, that's my social distancing right now. But um, um, that'll be it for this week. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? No, I, I, I wish that we had better answers. I wish that we uh, were dealing with things that were, were complete. 
uh, we don't have it, but hopefully we've given some places where people can go and mm -hmm. can um, have some idea of, of what information is. I'd emphasize uh, if you're interested in what um, different states are doing, go to coronavirus tracker on the on the internet. Uh, and certainly the World Health Organization has a group of um, bills and things that they're identifying and tracking. Uh, and Families First Coronavirus Response Act has dealt with testing. So there is some ability to ensure the fact that you're not paying for tests and certainly find out uh, in your state about what the particular programs are uh, to what goes on. But uh, right. the best insurance of all is to stay out of the healthcare system. Um, the second best is to stay with a doctor instead of a hospital. And the third best is to do all the preventive measures that you and I have talked about for quite some time. Uh, because at the end of the day, there have certainly been people that got sick who were healthy and, and severe. There's been athletes who have gotten it. Uh, but our hope is, is that uh, irregardless, um, uh, prevention and taking care of yourself is the best thing. Yes, uh, prevention, um, eat right, exercise, that'll help boost your immune system. And it helps keep you from, you know, suffering the worst of epidemics like this um, with, um, um, I haven't even forgot the name of it, COVID-19 and even the flu. I mean, I'm sure most of us has had it at one time in our life. Yeah. So, um, so um, that's it for this week. I'd like to remind you to go to ProPharmaConsultants.com. We have a free information page called RxInfoX. Um, also, we have a bi-weekly newsletter that is written by Dr. Stern himself called Pharmacy Benefit News. You can also find that at ProPharmaConsultants.com. And um, that's it for this week. We'll see you next week.